me and our responsive welcome. No matter who you are or where you are in life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. I'm sure you can imagine that it was very tempting this morning to reconstruct the entire service. But I think what we decided to do instead, uh, Amelia and I, is we decided that we were going to bring to council our question of what will this community do and who will this community be in a world where some choose violence, violence that is senseless um, and hard to explain and hard to understand. So we give you our pledge that we will bring that to our church council and, and I trust that as we move forward in this reflection, and I say we because I am reflecting as I speak, uh, that the Spirit will be at work in us, and perhaps a possible response to those questions that we will bring counsel will come from you. And if that's the case, please share them with others. And so now we'll return to Exodus chapter 20. And one of the things that really stood out this morning when I looked at that chapter again is that visually it's quite striking. Verses 6 through 9. If you open up any Bible and look at Exodus chapter 20, verses 6 through 9, you'll see that those verses are clear as day. They stand in juxtaposition to all the white space on the page because they're so brief and so concise. They are uncluttered by explanation or theological reflection. It just is what it is. And in these moments, I think what really matters is the tone that we impart on the text, or perhaps the tone with which we hear the text. And I want to invite you to check yourself on this. We're about to hear it in a moment, but do you hear these commandments, these ten things, these ten words? in a voice that is stern and overbearing, in a voice that perhaps exemplifies an angry person telling you what not to do? Or do you hear these ten things with the tenderness of one who loves you so much that they would never want anything to harm you, not the slightest harm to come your way? And then, of course, there's everything in between. But let's listen now as Phyllis shares with us how that first voice might sound. You shall not commit adultery. Now, I've heard it said many times that way. I bet you have, too. Let's hear it the second way. You really don't want to commit adultery. Mm, Thank you. See, that first version, 
supports the narrative that a woman becomes the property of her husband, however many he may have. And an unbroken series of descendants was primary. That's what mattered more than anything. Adultery's great crime was the possibility of mistaken paternity and an affront to the sanctity of the heteronormative nuclear family. Protected at all cost. In this scenario, adultery was a capital crime. The man may be criticized in these instances, but only the married or betrothed woman is bound to fidelity. And the price is death. So take a moment, just a moment, to consider the harm and confusion this perspective can lead to. The second scenario supports the narrative in wisdom literature where there is no allusion to any legal aspect of marriage or procreation or the institution of family. The writings in Hosea and the Song of Songs praises human love and the gift of sexuality. And if we go with the second version, the seventh thing seems to be saying, don't be sneaky or superficial with something as wonderful and sacred as your sexuality. Sexuality is a gift that deserves our special care. It needs to be said that religion in general has been horrible and destructive with matters relating to the gift of sexuality. Strict obedience and mixed messages like it's the most important thing ever, but don't do it until versus the healthy cultivation of trust and playfulness and security that is part of intimate relationships. That's the joy of intimate relationships. The biblical term for sexual intimacy is yada, which means to know. Not a superficial knowledge, but an intimate knowing. And sometimes the function of an affair, as we commonly call it, is a way to shatter the unhealthy construct. Sometimes it shatters that and allows for a healthier, more conscious and mature version to take its place. From a psychological perspective, Infidelity to promises or vows is an indication of an underlying problem or a worry or a longing. Perhaps you would think of it as maybe an acting out. It's a wake-up call to tend to something out of balance or missing in one's life. In other words, what is the reason behind looking for emotional support or sexual excitement from someone outside of your primary relationship? There could be many reasons for that. What this commandment tells us is that perhaps engaging that other person is not the way to go about uncovering what is underlying the situation. To be clear, the sin of adultery is not sex. It's a sin of dishonesty and disrespect of one's partner. And by sin, I mean falling short, which we all do. And so I sit here today, we talk about this today without blame or shame. And as you will hear later, Jesus talks about it without condemnation. And you will not hear condemnation from here. 
Actually, Jesus had a lot to say about adultery. When he was asked which commandments to keep, he named that one. And then he expanded the language. He took something that was this long and he made it longer. And he expanded it to include lustful thoughts. And what I like about that is that it has a way of silencing those self-righteous moments. I didn't do that. Oh, right? Okay, what about the thoughts in your head? How'd you do on that? In the Jewish tradition, there was a question posed to one of the masters. And the question was this, how do we discern a true religious leader from a false religious leader? And the answer was, ask them if they know a way to prevent impure thoughts. If they say yes, they're a fraud. (laughs) We are all in good company. And it also reminded me of the movie that Kevin Costner was in. I'm a huge Kevin Costner fan. Um, And he was in the movie Black or White. And his character, Elliot Anderson, he was a grandfather who was in a custody battle for his granddaughter. And his granddaughter was the product of a a mixed-race marriage. And this answer that he gives when he is giving testimony uh, in in this custody battle, I think applies. It really spoke to me. He said, it's not my first, because he was being challenged on all you see is race. And he didn't deny that. He says, I look at my granddaughter and I see a black young girl. But he said, it's not my first thoughts that count. It's my second, third, and fourth thought. And And in each and every case I'm in, it comes down to the same thing. The action and interaction I'm having with the person that is in front of me. So when it comes to what Jesus called, or what, what I guess what I call this morning, impure thoughts. Maybe that's the first thought. It doesn't have to be the last thought. It doesn't have to be the one we act on. That's what friends and colleagues and mentors help us with, isn't it? To move from that first reactive or instinctive thought before we turn it into action. That takes some discipline, but we can do it. We can learn it. We are not at the mercy of our minds. You know, I've heard it said, don't walk a mile in my shoes to get to know me. Spend 30 seconds in my head. And you don't want to do that, really. Or I don't want you to do that. How about that? Yeah, so it's not the first thought. It's not, sit back down. Or as someone said to me last week, you know, I've been, I'm trying not to be as impulsive. So I'm going to take 24 hours to think about that. And I'm going to consult with people who know me and who care about me. That was very wise. There's another story about adultery with Jesus. And I want to sort of focus on that. And we're almost done. So, um, Try to stay with me, because this is pretty important. This is the story in the Gospel of John with the woman who was caught in adultery. Caught in the act, as they say. So the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law of Moses, now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They said this to test him, 
so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again he bent down and wrote on the ground. Now keep in mind what that does. Imagine them surrounding her. And Jesus being the one being asked the question, If he bends down, who do they have to look at? They have to look at each other. And so there they are in that group, looking at each other. And he says, who is without sin? Let them be the first to throw a stone. They probably know each other's stories and histories. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus says, Neither do I. Go your way. And he probably said it in Phyllis's voice, You don't want to do that again. The progress of this text is seen as more mercy for her, not more judgment for him. Because I'm sure you noticed that the guy wasn't present. Just her. It's not about bringing him to be judged too. It's about more mercy for everyone. Church community must offer pathways of accountability. Pathways of forgiveness. Pathways of restoration for those who are hurt by infidelity to any promise or vows. How many of us are living our confirmation vows, which is a confirmation of the baptismal vows that were made on our behalf, or for those who were baptized as adults? How are you doing on those vows each and every day? And I don't ask you that to condemn you. I ask you that to remind you how hard it is to keep first things first and to keep promises. And we have to keep practicing keeping promises so that when we do get to that promise that might be marriage for some but not for all, we have an understanding of what it might entail. Any type of falling short of promises and vows represents an opportunity to recreate boundaries. And I'm defining boundaries as life-affirming limits. Boundaries are not intended to box us in. They are intended to liberate us so that we can fly and shine. So we recreate these life-affirming limits We establish a process for healing and for rebuilding trust. Trust is earned over time and proven over time. I think there's something in the recreating boundaries, the life-affirming limits, that might be part of a response to the question that plagues me 
following the violence of these past days. All of this is the work of the Spirit within and through us all who are willing and wanting to create communities of life. Return to the world fed people, grateful people, people who experienced community and spirit and peace and go to share that with those who need it. And as you do all of that, know that the love of God enfolds you, the power of God protects you, the presence of God watches over you, and wherever you are, God is. Go in peace. Amen.